0: Well, good morning, Christchurch Midrand, and welcome to Church at Home. My name is David. I'm one of the ministers here um, at the church. And what a joy it is uh, for you to be able to join the family this morning as we sing together, as we hear from God's word, and as we pray together. Um, I'm going to just pray for us before we start off the service. But just one announcement is that our teens uh, at 10 o'clock are meeting uh, via Zoom. And they're going to be having a and a session. So if you are a teenager, uh, please uh, make your way to our website under the illumination page. Uh, and then get all the details at 10 uh, and bring all your questions there. I'm just going to pray for us as we get into um, our service this morning. Father, thank you for this uh, great opportunity uh, to be joined together and to hear from your word, uh, to sing and pray to you. Uh, I pray that today you may make us realize uh, that indeed Jesus is better for your glory and for our good. Amen.
1: Good morning Church at Home. This morning we are using two old recordings again and you'll be pleased to know our music team are working in the background on some lovely songs where you can get to see familiar faces that you know for next week. Uh, But for today, we're singing, Sing to the King who is coming to reign. And it's a song that calls us together to sing and declare that Jesus is our Lord. And thereafter, we're singing a Sutu song, Kina le Modisa. And it's a wonderful version of The Lord is My Shepherd. So won't you stand and join us as we sing these songs together? Let us pray together using the words of 1 Chronicles 29, verses 10 to 13. Praise be to you, O Lord, God of our Father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, and the glory, and the power, and the majesty, and the splendour, for everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honour come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise to your glorious name. Please bow your heads as we continue to pray. Thank you, Lord God, for the opportunity to worship you. Despite the restrictions we currently face under COVID, we still have had the freedom to be with you, to experience your love and to praise as a family, as a church. These times show us that we do not need to be together in person to worship you. We do not need to be inside a church building to worship you. We can be with you anywhere. And for that, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of prayer, Help us to be honest with you, to share our challenges, emotions, fears and strife with you through this time. Help us open our hearts and our minds to you and your word. Lord, help us focus on what is important, to focus on the beauty around us. As we move into autumn, the sky is clear, the air is fresh and the sun is shining. Thank you, Lord, that we are able to live in a country as beautiful as South Africa. Thank you for the opportunities you give us. Help us move from a mindset of desperation to a mindset of appreciation. Forgiving, Father, forgive us our sins of pride, rebellion, disobedience, selfishness, hatred and idolatry. Lord, forgive us for half-hearted worship. Forgive us for disrespecting your name and treating you irreverently. Forgive us for putting our needs first, our concerns first, and our stresses first. Help us put you first and guide us in the correct way of being your faithful servant during this challenging time. Merciful Lord, we pray for those we love, our friends and our family, we especially pray for our church family, our church and our church leadership. We pray that you give the leaders of Christ Church Madrand the wisdom to lead and teach your word and carry out your needs in new ways through this term. We pray for our sister schools, Christ Church Madrand and Nukapile. Please can you guide the teachers and children through this uncertain time? Assist them to be calm and clear-minded. We pray for South Africa and its leaders. Please grant our president, ministers, and leadership the wisdom and discernment to help guide us through this so that we can rebuild South Africa when coming out of lockdown. This is not just a South African challenge, but also a worldwide challenge. So we pray for countries, leadership, and churches around the world. We pray that a positive outcome will be for this pandemic to bring people closer to you, and that through this, people will emerge stronger. We pray for our essential service workers, our frontline doctors, nurses, and those who work quietly behind the scenes, just keeping our economy going. And finally, we pray for an open mind, an open heart, and for the Holy Spirit to help us as we listen to God's word and this morning's sermon. As you say in Jeremiah, Then you will call on me and come to pray to me, and I will listen to you. God, we call to you, and we pray to you, through your Son, Jesus Christ.
2: Amen.
3: Good morning, everybody.
2: It's a wonderful, wonderful sunshine morning, and we are outside here, uh, just outside the auditorium, as you can see amongst the trees. And the beautiful garden. I've got some uh, family news items. You you may have noticed that uh, I used to do the offering, but they've they've pushed me off the offering because I sort of mixed up snap scan and Snapchat. I don't know what the problem is. Anyway, I'm on family news, but they'll probably chuck me off family news as well. And uh, next time I'll be the assistant to proud. You're uh, standing right behind you. Thanks to proud and to Mathieu. Uh, who are my audience, and they are a tough crowd. All right, three things. Uh, First of all, just our reach out to those who are in need, just to thank everybody who have been giving in kind and in money for those who need food at this time. Just to give you an update, uh, we are supporting uh, 340 households. Uh, Two-thirds of those are in Tembisa, and the other third is at Christchurch Hillbrow at Kaya Sands. Um, and we work there with uh, C4 and then also to our rural uh, Zulu churches in KZN with uh, REACH SA. So a special thanks just to all of you who've been giving and who've been supporting that financially. We'll continue doing that because that need hasn't hasn't gone away. One of the great things that that uh, that go out, there are food parcels, and uh, there are also virtual vouchers. And with both of those, we send a tract. And uh, Royden wrote the tract. So I thought I'd read it to you. It's just short, but it's such a lovely, uh, lovely presentation of the gospel. The tract says, we are giving you the small gift because Jesus told us to love our neighbor, and you are our neighbor. We don't know you. But God loved us when we didn't know him. We love you because God loved us first by sending his son to live and die for us. That changes everything. John 3 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. If you would like to know this God who loves you, get hold of a Bible and read the rest of John's gospel for yourself. We are praying for you, Christchurch, Madrid. Isn't that lovely? Great thanks to uh, Sarah and her team, to Dikeledi in Tembisa, to uh, Candice at Christchurch, Hillbra, Candice and Godfrey, to Farai at C4, and then to Bishop Jabula for the rural churches in KZN. So there we have our reach out. Let me tick it off so that I don't mess it up. Too much, all right, second second uh, family news is just concerning the Christchurch cafe. We did, did send out a notification that, for obvious reasons we 've had to close down the cafe. Um, we very probably will not be able to gather uh, for for many, many months, perhaps the rest of this year, and so we had to take the very sad decision to close down the cafe and to retrench. Our very wonderful staff that have been working, most of them have been working there since we started uh, four years ago. Just to say that uh, closing down the cafe is certainly not the end. I don't think it's been a failure at all. I think it's been a wonderful place, a place for family to meet. And uh, we've seen that over the last four years. And God has used that. Who knows how God has used uh, that meeting place for people to come to know Christ and to grow in their walk with Christ. It'll still be a meeting place, so though the cafe won't be operating as a business, we will still be using it as is for a place where we as family can meet and uh, still have still have uh, one-to-one, still have meetings, still gather with each other because it's so important that we build family and community. My special thanks just to uh, Bronwyn and to Tammy and to Peter for all the work that they have done for the last four years Uh, but uh, especially over the last uh, few weeks as we've had to close down uh, the cafe. It will still be a meeting place, and uh, so we will still be meeting there as a church family. Third thing I want to draw to your attention is uh, just the Gospel Coalition Africa, which is a coalition, and you will see it on the website. Uh, Please go and have a look at it. We have seen extraordinary growth over this pandemic period, We've probably doubled our numbers um, over this period. And just to give you an update, we started 18 months ago with the Gospel Coalition Africa. And uh, over that period, we have published 330 articles, uh, podcasts, uh, videos, sermons. We've had over 105 contributors from 16 African countries. So we're really building a coalition of uh, Bible-based Christians, evangelicals, who want to share the gospel uh, online and through the media, so do pray for the Gospel Coalition Africa. Um, we are on six platforms. Uh, just to give you some idea, the 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 Facebook audience has uh, 65% male, and the majority are young. That's between the age of 80, 18 and 34. Of course, at at my age, everybody's young. Um, just two special articles you must go and have a look at. Uh, on the website, the one is called "Can a Christian be bewitched?" Now that's a question with many people ask. Can a Christian, can a born again Christian, be bewitched? So do go and have a look at that. It's uh, under "Ask." Ask an African Pastor. Rogers from from uh, from Kampala uh, answers that question. The second article you must have a look at. It, it is a great article. It's called "An Apology." From a Prosperity Preacher So go onto the website Africa.thegospelcoalition.org And uh, go and have a look at those two articles But there are lots of other articles Over 300 articles in the archives You can look them up And uh, you, can, you can grow and learn And then pass them on to your friends So that others can also benefit From this, uh, this uh, great, um, this great uh, ministry that we have reaching out by Africans for Africans. Now, a little bit later on, Royden's going to be opening up God's word. I love listening to Royden, so I, I, I hope you've got your Bibles. I hope you've got your uh, notepad and pen uh, so that you can take notes as we continue our study in the book of Hebrews. God bless you. Good
1: morning, Emily. This is Martha. I am part of the Pastoral Katie Ministry here at Christchurch Mutrend. Just to remind you that, though things seem bleak at the moment, uh, we are going through a lot of challenges, just know that we are here for you, we are a family. We preach that each week, and this is just to remind you that we are indeed a family. It's myself, Raphael, Kathy and Punganai. Make contact with us at any time. The number will appear at the bottom of the screen.
3: Good morning family, just to let you know that our prayer ministry is still up and running and would want to keep on praying for you and would you reach out to us too so that we can keep on praying for you and also would want to encourage you to be meeting with someone online where you can actually read the bible together and encourage
4: one another. Thank you so much, have a blessed day.
1: The support ministries are still running albeit in slightly different ways So please
4: do get in contact with us if you'd like more information on how to join one of those. We are also working on a resource page that will uh, deal with different topics
1: uh, and situations, things that you and your family and friends are dealing with during the lockdown period. Uh, This will be available on the support ministries page uh, soon. So please look out for the information that'll come
3: through on the emailers regarding that. Then the counseling ministry is still running. You can meet with a Christian counselor, whether online
1: or in person, and uh, you can get individual and couple support
3: there.
4: Even under lockdown, we are still a redeemed family of servant on mission. And as the pastoral care team, we know that the situation is not as it used to be. People are going through a lot. That's why we want to let you know that we are available and really want to reach out to you during these times and the way we do that is by you reaching out to us you go to the church website under church at home you will see pastoral okay. care by clicking on pastoral okay, care you'll find all our details and you'll be reaching out to us and that's confidential between us and you we want to be able to continue ministering to you pastorally remain strong in jesus family and may God bless you. Good morning, family. My name is Raphael, one of the pastors here at Cross Church Midrand. It's so great to be together this morning for Church at Home. And now it's time for us to serve God through our giving. And two ways we can do it. We can do it through EFT or we can do it through SnapScan both the eft banking details and SnapScan barcode will be on the screen and while we do that let me just remind you and remind us all that it's a great privilege for all of us in whichever capacity god has blessed us to be able to give toward his work as we grow his kingdom and as we make disciples of jesus christ But also, let me tell you that we really value and appreciate all your generosity toward God's work and pray that God will continue to bless you in so many ways as we all grow together his kingdom. Enjoy the rest of the service.
1: Good morning. Today's Bible reading comes from Hebrews 2, chapters 1 to 4. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. This is the word of God.
3: Morning, everyone. Uh, Why don't we open with a word of prayer? Why don't you bow your heads and let's pray together. Father, we thank you for a beautiful day like this. Um, Thank you that I can enjoy the sun on my back and hear the birds and just marvel at this world that you've made. And uh, your graciousness to us, Lord, for the gift of life, uh, for the breath in our lungs. Every good gift comes from your hand. We remember that this morning with thanksgiving. Especially, Lord, when we consider that you have chosen to speak to us. That in the Bible, we have the word of God in the words of men. What a thing, Lord, that that you have come to us personally in your Son. What a thing... That you come to us like a father comes to a small child uh, to speak to us, to make yourself known. And we pray that you would give us this morning, you would give us ears to hear what you have to say to us. Please, Lord, let us in this time as changed people plant this uh, seed deep within us and transform us for Christ's sake. Amen. Salvation is an old fashioned word in our culture. No one really uses it anymore. Uh, It's for King James religious types. It's not that we don't have the category. We just uh, don't really use the word. In our culture, we don't talk about salvation. We might talk about solution. We might talk about rescue, but not salvation. We don't talk about saviors. Uh, We talk about heroes. So if I went to the mall and I asked a bunch of people, just a random sample, how are we going to be rescued? Who's going to rescue us? What's the answer? What's the solution? I think we'd very quickly discover that a person's answer depends on what they think the problem is. Most people would assume I'm talking about the virus, of course, but there are other options. If a person's problem is finances, salvation is wealth. The savior is whoever, whatever can deliver the most money in the shortest space of time. Uh, there's a technical model, technical name for this model of salvation. It's called the lotto. If loneliness or self-esteem is the problem, then salvation is in the arms of your next lover, your next hookup, or on YouTube with your favorite life coach. Some of us are big picture thinkers. We might say that the problem, the threat is poverty or climate change or religion. If poverty is the problem, nationalization is the solution, Julius Malema is our savior. Or, the free market is our salvation, and the IMF is our savior. If climate change is the great threat, then Greta Thunberg or Elon Musk are our heroes. They are our heroes. Greta says salvation is in the forest. Elon says salvation is behind the wheel of a Tesla, or on Mars. If religion is the great danger, then John Lennon or Richard Dawkins will save us. Lennon says, all we need is love. Dawkins says, all we need is the selfish gene. I think you get the picture. Your salvation, your savior, depend on what you think you need saving from. Our passage this morning speaks directly into these issues. But first, we need to deal with what this passage actually is. This passage is a warning. It's a warning. That immediately makes us feel a little uncomfortable, doesn't it? Warning is not something we normally associate with love or with grace or with Jesus. But we're just plain wrong. When we read the New Testament carefully, we see Jesus warning people all the time. He does it all the time and he does it out of love. He does it because he knows the great danger waiting for those who reject grace. In fact, warning itself is an act of grace. When you see your enemy heading for a fall, you're not likely to run and warn him, are you? You're more likely to give him a nudge, speed the process along. Not so with God. He never tires of warning those who reject him. Of appealing to his own people and to his enemies, don't go down that road. You are going to get hurt. Warnings are not the rant of an angry tyrant that we so often make them out to be. They are an act of God's love. And because we keep rejecting, resisting, doubting God's love, because we keep scoffing at his warnings, ignoring them, it's not as though we deserve to be warned in the first place. And so, warnings are an act of grace. They're a gift that we don't deserve. Love, grace, warning, security. These things are not incompatible. Any parent will understand what I'm saying. Love, grace, warning, security. They don't exclude each other. And of course, they come together perfectly in the person of Jesus. Our passage is a warning. Let's take a look at it. What we have in this passage is a comparison of two covenants. And the warning is an argument from the lesser to the greater. So let me try and explain what I mean. In Hebrew so far, you will remember what we've seen is that God has spoken in two different ways. Remember the first four verses. He spoke in the past by the prophets many times, many ways. In these last days, he has spoken by his son. So it's two ways of speaking. And the second is better than the first. In fact, the second is the fulfillment of the first. Then in the rest of chapter 1, the writer compares two mediators. We saw that last week, angels and the Lord Jesus. The second is better than the first. He is the perfect mediator. There are two ways God has spoken. Two mediators of two covenants. Now here in chapter 2, the writer continues along these lines of comparison And uh, we jump straight in. It's chapter 2, verse 1. You'll see what I mean. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Now, who's the we there? What have we heard? We are those living in the last days. Chapter 1, verse 2. In these last days, God has spoken to us. Spoken to us. We are those who have heard God speak to us by his Son. We are those living under the new covenant. And therefore, back to chapter 2, verse 1, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, what message is this? You remember from last week in Jewish tradition, angels mediated the law from God to Moses. The message declared by angels, the one referenced in uh, chapter 2, verse 2, is the Mosaic law. It's the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. That message, 2 verse 2, proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. In other words, under the Old Mosaic Covenant, those who rejected the terms of the covenant were punished justly. They got what their deeds deserved. And now here it comes, the argument from the lesser to the greater, from the Old Mosaic Covenant to the New Covenant in Jesus Christ. Here it is, verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Are you following the argument? If those who rejected the old covenant were judged, how do those who reject this great salvation offered in the new covenant think they're going to escape judgment? It's a rhetorical question. Of course, the answer is they are not going to escape judgment. There is no escape. That's the great warning to us. And that's the logic of this passage. I hope you're with me. If you're with me, uh, give me a big loud amen so I can hear you from Varna Valley or wherever you are. That is the logic of our passage. It's, it's a warning and it's an argument from lesser to greater. If those who broke the old covenant were judged, how much more will those who reject this great salvation in the new covenant be judged? How much more? That's the logic. The heart of our passage, the place I really want us to focus in this morning is verse 3. The warning not to neglect such a great salvation. What is the salvation? Because we've already seen, haven't we, that to understand salvation, you need to understand what you're being saved from. So what's the problem? What's the great threat that brings about about such a great salvation? Well, we start looking for an answer in the surrounding verses, in the immediate context. You you go back to 1 verse 3, you see that Jesus sits down because his work is done. Well, what is that work? You can read it there. It's the purification of sins. His work of salvation is the purification of sins, verse 3. Then look at chapter 2 verse 10. It names Jesus as the founder of our salvation. In other words, he is our savior. What did he save us from? Go one verse up to two verse nine. Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. He saves us from death. He tasted death for everyone, for us. It was a death that should have been ours verse 11 talks about Jesus sanctifying his brothers it's another word for salvation then verse 12 is a quote from psalm 22 remember that's the psalm Jesus quoted when he was on the cross my god my god why have you forsaken me and so the climax of his saving work is his death then we read in verse 14 i hope you're still tracking with me in verse 14 Since, therefore, the children of God share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of these same things, and through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. The fear of death is a lifelong slavery. Jesus liberates us from that slavery by rising from the dead, that is his victory over death, his resurrection. By passing through death on the cross, he also rescues us from the devil. Because the devil uses the fear of death to enslave us. So there we have it. That, that unholy trinity, sin, death, the devil, that evil conspiracy, that is what Jesus saves us from. There's one more description of the problem in chapter 2. We find it in verse 17. It's kind of the conclusion of the whole argument or this part of the argument. So there it is, verse 17, chapter 2, verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Jesus had to become both priest and sacrifice on our behalf. Why? What does it say? To make propitiation for the sins of the people. Propitiation is a big, fancy cocktail party word for uh, for theological nerds. It simply means appeasing somebody's anger. So just imagine lockdown is over and we are at Christchurch Midrand, corner of 9th and 11th, E-Rand, Midrand, in case you've forgotten where it is. We're here in the campus. We are on the campus. I've spent all morning on the communion wine and uh, I stumble down into the, into the parking lot and I, I happen to drive into you as we're both trying to exit. Of course, you get out, you are fuming. Immediately, you can see this is at least 3,000 rands worth of damage and, and your blood is boiling. But at that point, I go to the boot of my car and I pull out a briefcase with 10,000 rand in it. Okay, let me just say that this illustration is not an indication, a reflection on our model of ministry in any way, shape or form. It's just an illustration, right? So let's just go with the picture. I pull out my briefcase. I've got 10,000 Rand cash and that is just for the inconvenience. And then I arrange for your car to be taken to the best panel beater in Gauteng and you have it back at three o'clock that same afternoon in better condition than it ever was. All of that effort that I went to, the money, the arrangements, the urgency, all of that could be described as propitiation. The problem I was solving was your anger. And of course, you had every right to be angry. So it is with our sin. There's an even bigger problem behind our sin. And that problem is a just God who must see that justice is done That wrongs are righted. That sin is punished. That's the ultimate problem in verse 17. That's where our passage lands. And it seems to be the ultimate problem in our own passage. The the verses we're considering this morning. Because remember the logic. Chapter 2 verse 2. If breaches of the old covenant were met by God's judgment. Well then how much more will rejection of the new covenant be met by judgment? Our great enemies are sin and death and the devil. But our biggest problem is the perfect justice of God. In the end, that's what we need saving from. Because if the charge is rejecting God and not living a perfect life of love, well then, if we're honest with ourselves, the only plea we can possibly enter is guilty. So, how do we get out of this corner? Where do we turn? I think it's fair to say that it is going to take a great salvation to rescue us. Thanks be to God. Verse 3 says, We have a great salvation available to us. Why exactly is it a great salvation? Well, from our passage, firstly, it has a better mediator. We we looked at this in detail last week, but it's in our passage again this week. The old covenant came by angels. That's chapter 2, verse 2. The new covenant, in the new covenant, God comes in person to deliver this message of grace. It is declared by the Lord himself and by the by his apostles, the ones he sent to extend that message. God the Father bears witness to us, witness to it in signs, in wonders, in miracles, in a, in a, in a lavish distribution of gifts of the Holy Spirit. It is a great salvation because it is announced by God in person. That's the first reason. It's also a great salvation because of the depth of the problem and the wonder of the solution. Because of the desperate danger of our situation and the glorious surprise Of our rescue. Let's start with the problem. Our salvation is great because it traces all of life's problems all the way down into their ugly core. Climate change is a real problem, but in the end the problem is not greenhouse gas emissions. The problem is an individual selfishness that looks At the abundance of the world's resources and says these are here for me they're here for me and even that selfishness has a deeper root because you can only worship yourself if you are not worshiping god likewise with poverty the problem is real it's unavoidable but in the end the problem doesn't come down to economic policy or to political history The problem is greed. And even greed has a deeper root. You can only choose your comfort and your neighbor's suffering if you have already chosen to ignore God's suffering. You can only refuse to love your neighbor if you have first refused and rejected the love of God. Loneliness, isolation, low self-esteem, actual problems But the real problem is not psychological, it's deeper, it's spiritual. At the very bottom, the problem is not a low self-esteem, the problem is a low esteem of God. If we see God as he is, he's always enough, he's always enough. I can be fully satisfied, fully reassured in him, I can know my place in the world. If his love is the measure of my worth, I will never, ever doubt my worth again. So too with death. Death, of course, is the problem that makes a joke of all of our solutions. In the end, it doesn't matter how many trees I plant, how many food parcels I distribute, how many financial breaks I get in this life, death wins. Death always wins. But even death is not the real problem. It's what comes after death. The writer to the Hebrews puts it plainly later on in his letter, chapter 9, verse 27. He says this, it is appointed for man to die once. And after that comes judgment. Crystal clear, isn't it? Death is separation from others. The second death that comes after judgment is final separation from God. And that is the very bottom of our predicament. That is the bottom. That is the problem at its deepest, darkest depths. Ours is a great salvation because it traces the human problem all the way down to its poisonous root structure. And those roots are in our sinful defiance of God. Our desire to be away from Him, to have nothing to do with Him. The most important of all of our relationships All of our relationships, the most important of them all, is sick to its very core. And that sickness is the source of every other sign of sickness that we see all around us in the world. A great salvation must stare the true danger right in the face, right in the eyes. And our salvation does just that. But that's only half the story, isn't it? To be a great salvation, it is not enough just to diagnose the problem. The finest, the world's finest analysis of COVID-19 is necessary, but it's not sufficient. It's not enough. We still need a vaccine. So if sin, death, Satan, and finally judgment are the real problem, what's the real solution? What is our great salvation? Well, we've seen it. We've encountered it again and again in Hebrews chapter 1 and 2. And it's staggering, really. Staggering, isn't it? I mean, you'll recognize the language. Our salvation is that the Son of God, the Heir of all things, through whom the world was created, the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of His nature, the one who upholds the universe by the word of His power, that same one, Took on flesh and blood, became human. He shared in our flesh and blood, and as we well know, the problem with flesh and blood is that it suffers and then it dies. He suffered to the point of death so that he might taste death for everyone before taking his seat at the right hand of the majesty on high. And he did it to liberate us from the fear of death, to destroy the power of the devil, and ultimately to make propitiation for the sins of the people. He hung in our place. On that cross. So that we might stand with him. In his place. In glory. That my friends. Is a great salvation. And it's the only one there is. In the end. Everything else is superficial. Superficial. Treating climate, poverty, finances, self-image as the main problem, trying to fix these things as the main solution, it's the difference between dealing with the headache and dealing with the brain tumor. Fixing those things without a remedy for sin is like palliative care. It's like hospice. You are managing the pain, but the patient is still terminal. You haven't dealt with the real problem. Jesus deals with the real problem all the way down. All the way down. He deals with human hostility to God by loving his Father with the love of a perfect Son. He heals human corruption by living a real human life, free from corruption. He saves humanity by being authentically human, total integrity, right down to his very core. You see, he doesn't impose salvation from above, he lives salvation from within. He purifies this river at its source. He repairs the relationship with God as a human. He comes and lives as a son. He dies under the guilt of humanity so that God is no longer our judge. He's our father. It's a great salvation. And we dare not neglect it. We dare not turn our backs on it. We've come the full circle back to warning. You will not escape judgment if you neglect this great salvation. There is no escape. What what would that look like? Just so that we're clear, what would it look like to neglect this great salvation? Well, chapter 2 verse 1 describes it as drifting. It's like a boat in a river, anchored at the side on the bank, But now it's lost its moorings and it slowly comes away from the bank and enters into midstream and begins to drift with the current. That's like us. If we do not pay very careful attention to what we have heard. If we slowly over time, by degree, pay less and less attention. If we slowly begin to move away from the gospel, from the truth of our salvation in Jesus Christ. It's not as though we move entirely on our own. I mean, just to stay where we are, we need to resist the current. If you don't resist the current, if there's no resistance, the current will move you. As disciples of Jesus, we experience that current as a kind of a relentless pressure. It's like the flow of a river. So sometimes that pressure may be slow and low, but the current is always against us. We are always paddling upstream. And that pressure is political, it's social, it's cultural. It's all of those, but in the end, it often translates into theological pressure. It says something like, the church must be relevant. The church must be relevant. Give me a Jesus who meets my needs. Or what's the point? To paraphrase one African theologian, what good is a salvation consumed with cryptic sinfulness when I need help in everyday life? In other words, what, what good is all this talk of sin when people are hungry? When I can't pay my bills? What good is it for people to be obsessing over sin when the planet is cooking? You can keep your salvation. Give me something that's relevant to my life. Give me something practical that can help me day to day. My friends, the witness of this letter... The witness of the entire Bible, in fact, uh, the witness of anyone who's been a Christian for any length of time is that there is nothing more practical or relevant than our great salvation. Nothing. Let's just take poverty as an example. Seeing that problem as sin and Jesus as Savior means you will be more committed to the poor, not less. Why? Well, as you draw close to the Savior and you begin to understand all that he has taught, you will know that every human being is made in the image of God and has intrinsic dignity, intrinsic value, intrinsic worth. You'll discover that your Savior is also your king and he has commanded you to love your neighbor. You will love not because they are always lovable, but because God loved you first. So you see, you'll be more committed to the poor, your commitment will be more sustainable because you're not drawing on your own resources, your capacity to love. You are drawing from a well that never runs dry. You're drawing from God's love for you. It's inexhaustible. Tracing the problem to its roots, recognizing the problem as sin and Jesus as Savior, will also mean that you are not paternalistic in your help for the poor. But equally, you're not romantic about the poor. So you're not paternalistic and you're not romantic. You won't think that you are better than them. And you won't think that they are better than you. You know, some sort of Charles Dickens view of poverty, where every poor person is humble and meek and generous and kind and noble. They are sinners. You are a sinner. The ground at the foot of the cross is level. This is just a helping hand from one sinner to another. That's all it is. If the problem is sin and Jesus is Savior, you won't be paternalistic. You won't be romantic. You also won't be proud and self-righteous. You won't think you're better than other people who aren't helping the poor. You won't even think that you are better than those who are oppressing the poor. You will know it's wrong. You will know it's wicked. But you will also know that you have the same disease they have. You have exactly the same condition. It's called sin. Only the symptoms are different. And so, what place is there for pride? What place is there for self-righteous anger? When the problem is sin and Jesus is Savior, Helping the poor won't make you angry or self-righteous or proud. You'll just be doing your little bit. And you'll be doing it with humility and joy because God loved you first. You also won't be crushed by the enormous weight of this problem. Because you are not the Messiah. You are not the Savior. That place is already taken. That throne is already occupied. That work is already finished. So while you will be deeply concerned, you won't be crushed. You won't fall into despair. You won't become cynical. You will know that your work is simply a witness to his work. It's Simply a witness to his work. You don't need to save the world. He's already done that. Finally, if the problem is sin and Jesus is Savior, you will help the poor knowing that what you are offering is temporary relief. It's merely treating the symptoms. Just think about this with me. What good is it to fill a man's belly only so that he has the energy to go home and beat his wife? What good is it if a man escapes the ravages of the township only to go and live a self-indulgent life of luxury in the suburbs and then to die a comfortable death In a private hospital bed, only to be confronted with second death by the righteousness of a just God. What good have you actually done? What have you achieved? Treating the problem as sin and Jesus as Saviour means we will care deeply for the whole man, body, mind, and soul, but especially, primarily, urgently. For the soul. Because that was Jesus' priority. So please don't tell me that our salvation is not relevant or practical. If we measure relevant and practical by what, by what truly works in the long run, then our great salvation is the only relevant and practical alternative available. So my friends, we must resist the pressure. We must strain against the current of our culture with every ounce of strength that we have. Remember that the current is relentless. And drift comes in small compromises. It comes by degree. You won't even notice it. Right now the current is strong. But we must contend for the gospel. We must cling to the gospel. We must be agents of this great salvation. If relevant and practical means just treating the symptoms and only treating the symptoms, well, then I think we must reject those uh, those options with scorn. We are the church. We are not an NGO. And what a glorious privilege it is to be the church. Ours is a great salvation. It's the only true salvation. And we get to offer it to the whole world. Just as an aside, in light of everything I've said, uh, And applying it to this example of poverty, I am so grateful that Sarah Cairns, who who is coordinating our whole whole response to the poor uh, and the vulnerable in light of COVID-19, she insisted uh, of her own initiative that every food voucher that we distribute carries with it a gospel tract in English and translated into SUTU and ZULU as well. So every food voucher goes out with a gospel tract. And, and I'm just so thankful for that because it gives me great comfort to know that we are loving the whole person. We're not just treating the symptoms. As urgent as that is. Finally, as the church and as individuals, we need to hear the tone of warning in this passage one last time. In closing, we must hear this tone of warning. God sent his son. To live a life of human hardship, to struggle against human temptation, to die an agonizing sinner's death so that he could rescue us from judgment. If you turn your back on this salvation, what else is there? What else can God possibly do to rescue you? Hebrews chapter 2 verse 3. How can we possibly escape? If we neglect such a great salvation. Let's pray. Father, will you help us to hear this warning and, and to know that you warn us to keep us. You warn us because you love us. Thank you for our great salvation. Thank you that it is utterly secure in Jesus. Help us to pay careful attention to it, Lord. Keep us from the tiny compromises that end in drift. Make us agents and ambassadors of this great salvation in the world. Help us to see the depth of the problem and the severity of the danger so that we are urgent in our efforts. Keep us trusting Christ, for He is our Savior. Amen. Amen. Go well, everybody. Have a, have a wonderful week in the Lord. Take
2: care. Uh, hello, my name is Giovaka and I'm thankful for food. Hello, my name is Rubane and I'm thankful for good health.
0: Hello, my name is Eric. Uh, We are the DLS, we are thankful for Jesus Christ.
3: Hi, everybody, this is the Moore family here. It's Peter and Rosie and Jesse and Stuart and Ruth and Hannah.
2: And Caspian. And and Caspian, and we are just so grateful to have our whole family together.
1: I'm grateful for the treadmill. I'm grateful to have a job. I'm grateful for food. I'm grateful for my education.
0: I'm grateful for God's word. Hello, family. My name is Paul, and
3: I'm part of STYLE, the Young Heart here at Christchurch, and I'm grateful for life in
2: Christ.
0: Hi, everyone. My name is DK, and I'm grateful for community.
3: Hi, family. My name is Koketo, and I'm grateful for love.
2: Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Treasure, and I'm grateful for community.
1: Hello, everyone. My name is Shoki, and I'm grateful for all the life groups I have in a week.
4: Hi everyone, my name is Bantu and I'm grateful for God's disciples.
2: Hi everyone, my name is Kumoto and I'm grateful for family. Hi everybody, my name is Kensani, and I'm grateful for hope. Hi everyone, my name is Reggie and I'm grateful for technology.